opinions expressed on the Custody Queen show are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for personal, professional legal advice. The persons discussed are fictional and not based on actual clients. Hi, I'm Kristen Holstrom. And I'm Sam McBride, and we are the Custody Queens. We have a new show that we couldn't be more excited about. If you're going through a custody battle, fighting for your parental rights, or going through a horrible divorce, nothing is off limits on our new show. Thought it was love, had kids in between, you can count on us, we're the custody queens, yeah, you can count on us, we're the custody queens. Hey everyone, it's Sam McBride, I'm here with my favorite blonde, Kristen Holstrom, we are the custody queens, we are back here again, Saturday morning, so excited you have attorney Jeremy Rourke with us, certified family law specialist. For anyone that missed last week's episode, Jeremy was involved with part one, It Takes a Village. This is a return. Part two, It Takes a Village. We're very excited for it. If you missed that episode, don't forget to go rewatch it. We are going to be talking about special needs. Yeah, and you can catch all of our past episodes on custodyqueensonair.com. So thanks, Jeremy, for joining us again today. Jeremy, for all of those of you out there who do not know, as Sam said, he is a certified family law specialist. He is also a fellow custody queen attorney that deals specifically in complicated custody cases and those that involve children with special needs or disabilities or any children that are on the spectrum and require services, he is your go-to man. He is an awesome person, loving husband. I'm sure Sheena would love that. Give you a little uh, high five there. And then he has a son named Jace that he loves to talk with us about. So thanks for coming back, Jeremy. Good morning, thanks for having me. So I think before we get into our part two, It Takes a Village, we got to put Jeremy back on the spot with our CQ book. All right, Jared, let's find a good one. Want to find something dicey in here. And for everyone out there listening, our CQ book is a book of a ton of questions, random questions. Kristen's going to pick one for Jeremy. All right, Jared, this is a good one. Name your alter ego. Well, he's already been named. It's Frank the Tank. <laughs> Can you elaborate a little bit more for us on that? Um... It's uh, the name I go to in Vegas. It's, it's not... I'm not Jeremy anymore. I'm Frank, and... Uh, as, a, as, a, as a caged animal at times, marriage and fatherhood has done that to me. Uh, sometimes when we release the beast, Frank the Tank comes out. <laughs> and and does, don't you have a, doesn't Frank the Tank or, you know, your um, elf on the shelf, doesn't he have, don't you have like a special elf on the shelf too? Before I had my son, I, my wife liked the idea of elf on the shelf. And so I got to be the adult version of elf on the shelf. There were child support payments being made, there were keg stands, there were, uh, <laughs> it came in like a wrecking ball, Miley Cyrus videos, I did it all. Uh, but now Bruin the Elf has grown up and is doing all the age appropriate things for my six year old. And yeah, for all of those listening that don't really know Jeremy that well, I think Frank the Tank is, is very appropriate. <laughs> um, but I, I would say that it probably, Frank doesn't come out a whole lot anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. It's, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame. It is a shame. He's buried deep down. Yeah, and I think his uh, second alter ego is playing Sam McBride from the famous Custody Queens. No, I played Kristen. Oh, you I was you. Me? Oh, yes. Ron played me. Ron oh, was. That's right. Yes. That's right. And I will say, Jeremy, you uh, you are a great Kristen Holstrom. We have to repost that photo. Actually, it's Jeremy and Ron, who's another attorney. He's been on a couple of shows. 
they dressed up as Kristen and I for Halloween and they surprised us and it was hysterical. I like looked up and Ron just looked exactly like me. And Jeremy had just like prettier. a- yeah, Just exactly. prettier. Yeah, exactly. And Jeremy had like a curly wig on. Yeah, they had us from the hair, you know, Ron had straight hair, Jeremy had curly hair. Ron wore straight black. Yeah, they had Ron in black boots. They had Jeremy in sneakers. I mean, it was, it was, it was hilarious. We'll have to share that with you guys, but I, I appreciate you playing me. Thank All you, right, Kristen, you. give me a question. All right, Sam. All right. Here's a good one. Uh-oh. How do you feel about growing older? I feel pretty good about growing older, actually. I don't think I've ever thought, oh man, I'm getting old. I mean, I think the next major milestone for me is getting a discount on food, like a senior citizen discount. Yeah, like the early bird special? <laughs> Which, yeah, I'm pretty jazzed about. I always want to go, like I go to that area of the menu and I'm like, it's just a perfect amount of food. It's a little cheaper. Um, it's right above the kids meal level, you know? Because I think that's probably what right, I should order. Right, I feel like a jerk ordering from the kids meal. and But... Yeah, I feel great about it. I've never like, <laughs> I've I've never really thought like, oh man, I'm getting old. I'm like, this is cool, you know. <laughs> How no, about you? I, Are you no, I agree. Old? No, not at all. I I think that I am uh, getting older like a fine wine. And you man. get like you get away with more stuff. You right? do, and you know yourself. You have a sense of of calmness. And I wouldn't. Gosh, there's nothing you could offer me to go back to my twenties. I'll I, tell you that. I will transition well into being an old lady because I love to crochet. I love to sleep. Yeah. My knees and hips hurt now. Like, I don't want to get older and have the idea that, like, I have a hard time getting up. Like, if I fall when I'm older, that's going to be really bad. Yeah, I think there are mornings where that we wake up after we're wrestling with the kids or, you know, doing horsey rides with the babies, and I'm like, ooh, Sam and I were doing TikTok here uh, not too long ago, maybe last month, and I got a little too low, you know, doing a TikTok move, <laughs> and I did something to that, you know, there's like a little band in your in your hip area, your hip flexor, and after years of playing college soccer, I, I definitely have done a number on my hip, but I'm telling you, I was limping for three days, been gay on my whole body, and my daughter's <laughs> like, oh, hi, old lady, and you know, I'm like, your, your mom is, is, your daughter's you, trolling, she goes, and she goes, what'd you do, and I go, TikTok, she goes, mom, you're too old, all for TikTok. I said you are right, clearly. So, all right, give me a question, Sam. All right, here we go. What is the best decision you've made in your life so far? <sighs> I already know the answer to that. <laughs> um, the best decision that I made was marrying my husband that allowed me to create the 3D the three tiny humans that call me mom, hands down. So that That's was a good answer. And, and you know what the second best decision was? What? To start custody queens. I was gonna say to hire me. <laughs> Actually that would yes, that would have to predate my second decision and then my third. And then my fourth was to, to hire Jeremy. So all right guys, let's get on with it. Um, and of course my fifth decision would be to to include everyone on the on the Custody Queens team. Sam and I are so grateful. And Meredith and Cam and Andre and Trey and the whole production team. So thank you all. All right, so let's go ahead and, and jump into Divorce Wars. So Divorce Wars is where Kristen and I and Jeremy today are gonna listen to a fictional fact pattern and analyze it. It's normally pretty gruesome and crazy, so I'm excited to see what our producers have in store. This is Divorce Wars. I'm not a lawyer, but this happened to a friend of a friend of mine, and boy, it's a doozy. 
girl keeps nagging her boyfriend about marriage, but he doesn't want to marry her. The thing is, he doesn't want to break up either. So he tells her that they'll have a destination wedding on a tropical island with a local ceremony. Says it will be very romantic. They fly out there to tie the knot. Here's the kicker. There was no legally binding ceremony. He just hired some resort staff to pretend to officiate a fake marriage ceremony and no marriage contract was ever drawn up. The guy then dies years later and that's when wife finds out she was never married and is not in the will. Well, I, I will say that the, the passing of the gentleman creates more of a probate issue than a, a family law issue. Uh, but from, there's a whole lot of very heavy legal stuff. You've got putative spouse, which is the, whether or not she had a good faith belief that she was marrying someone. You have a valid marriage, yeah. It, I mean, there's some pretty, pretty compli complicated issues there that would be a whole analysis of who was at the wedding, who, was there a priest, was there anyone to officiate the wedding, was there any wedding license executed but maybe not filed with the recorder, did you believe that, there, like Jeremy said, there was a good faith belief that this was even a spiritual ceremony that was meant to be a marriage, I mean, that's a whole legal analysis. Was it valid in the location it took place, the requirements to get married in that destination actually could have made it valid, and there's, if it's a different country, that may be enough. So there's a whole lot of fun, interesting things there. Yeah, over the years, there's been a few uh, uh, potential cases that have come across my way that the, there has been a ceremony in another country, you know, Thailand, Bali, um, a couple countries where clearly I have to do some research and even reach out to attorneys in those areas. And then the question is whether or not that that marriage was valid there and then where do we go from there? Right, so the first question is whether or not it's a valid marriage, and that's gonna be fact sensitive. And then the second question is if it isn't a valid marriage, do you have a potential to qualify for what Jeremy spoke about earlier, which is a putative spouse, meaning you believed that you were married, so you may be afforded some protections under the family code as if you were married. And there is kind of another issue that you'll hear about sometimes when you have two people that are not married, but they, kind of have a contractual relationship that acts almost as husband and wife, um, there is the potential for what's called a Marvin action. Uh, it's, it's it's created after a Marvin versus Marvin case that was out there. Uh, it's a civil case. Yeah, civil case held in a civil courthouse. There are not uh, many family law attorneys that actually handle them because it's handled in a, in a civil court. Uh, that is something that we do at Holstrom Block and Park, so if that's an issue that you'd like questions about or that you want to have a consultation about, uh, we do do them. We have several attorneys in our office that are qualified to do Marvin actions, so feel free to call us at 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772. All right, well, I think that we have to say our tagline, Kristen. All right, and we hope... They, they lived, lived happily ever after, after after divorce. But these people weren't divorced. But we still, maybe, maybe, maybe there is a divorce, but that will to be determined, right? So, but we still hope they live happily ever after whatever happened before. Right. So. All right, so I think it's time to get into It Takes a Village Part Two. So last time we kind of introduced Jeremy and we were talking about um, special needs in general and some of the considerations and. We really, Chris and I were talking about this earlier, we could we could probably do four or five episodes on 
this area, and we probably will over the course of the next year or so, but um, in general today we wanted to talk to you guys about what considerations you should think about when, if you're going to file something with the court and basically who do you call? Yeah, so Jeremy, when when the client calls you and they retain and you and you and you walk them through the services, what's available, what they should be enrolling their children in, what's the next step in the legal process? Well, if if we're starting from scratch and there's never been anything done, the goal obviously is to get them some sort of visitation schedule that they can articulate to the court that they can rely on as for orders. And so, assuming if they weren't married, it's a petition for paternity. If they were married, it's, it's a dissolution. But custody visitation, we'll, we'll focus on that right now. Um, we have to clearly lay out the plan that they want, that they can execute to the court. Uh, what is the current visit schedule for the kids' services? What do we have to do for those to present them to the court, I guess? Is that where you want to yeah, go with this? Yeah, and then just, I mean, I know that Sam and I and you have done, you know, hundreds if not thousands of, of stipulation orders regarding visitation and requests for orders where we've drafted requests for visitations. But do you recommend any specific language or what are the hot topics, you know, that we should focus on when we're making those those requests? I know Sam has some bullet points that she wants to hit on, but is there is there something that you, you know, kind of assess with your client right from the start? Well, our job is to educate the court on the individual specific needs of the child at issue. And that can't be done by really anybody other than the parents. They know this child better than anybody. So what is the school schedule? What are the IEPs? What are the services that they're receiving? Occupational speech, behavior. How then are the, the needs of the child impacted by transitions? How are they impacted by changes in, in the the dynamics, sensory issues, and all of those things need to be presented to the court and then coincide with what the client wants. And then hopefully they're tailored together where we're presenting the best for the child as well as what the child, what the parents want. Yeah, that's exactly right. And when you want to prepare a motion, which is a series of documents that you will compile and file with the court, and that will generate a court hearing. And at that court hearing, at least the initial setting, the court should be making some temporary orders regarding custody and visitation. And I think what Jeremy's point really is, is you need to put a lot of specificity specifically in special needs cases so that the court is completely educated regarding what it needs to do in order to make a good call. If you just go to court and you don't have all that information regarding you know, any potential equipment, healthcare needs, financial needs, et cetera, if you haven't given that to the court, the court's going to have a hard time making anything other than a vanilla order for a child. Yeah, I can tell you recently something that I had to deal with is the order was very vague, um, opposite to what you just described, and it just said that you know one parent would take the child to uh, therapy. Now, clearly, this child was in, as Jeremy just described, the different types of therapy. What transportation was that? What therapy did that include? What days was that to include on? And I can tell you that that little insignificant, or what some people would find very insignificant, that little issue really created a nightmare for this person that I was helping. And so what happens when the order's too vague is you're basically back to square one. You have to file another motion with the court to clarify the order or to get further orders so that you don't keep disputing things. So. I guess it really is the more specific your order the more you can stay out of court and so you can have an attorney and a qualified attorney help you prepare that emotion the motion 
on the first instance, preventing or mitigating thereafter filed motions or the need for them. Vague orders create interpretation opportunities. And when you have two parents who want to interpret them in their favor, they're going to create discord. And so I think if we present it to the court in a very clear orders, then the court will be able to make the orders so specific that it can't be ambiguous, which is ultimately avoids the problems. And it's also helpful to have those orders uh, when you're heading into, if, if you get to the point where you need a child custody evaluation, Jeremy, I'm sure that a lot of cases involving special needs or children on the spectrum end up in a custody evaluation. Is that a fair assessment? I think courts are often afraid of not having all the information. And so sometimes the courts, I'll say punt it to an evaluator to then allow the, the attorneys or the parties to present the information to the evaluator so the evaluator can spoon feed the court. And I, I think you need a, a professional to look at the information and interpret it. But even these, even these 730 evaluators, they don't know special needs that well. So we have to spoon feed these evaluators as, as much as we have to spoon feed the courts to make sure that they understand it's not just dad's availability or mom's availability, it's how this child reacts to any component of the parents. And when you say spoon feed, what exactly do you mean by that? Uh, essentially, our goal is to create a package that's thorough and complete that provides all the necessary information to the court or to the evaluator to assist them in making their analysis. And, and sometimes that's most of the legwork. Sometimes a, a really good package to the evaluator or to the court makes the job in the courtroom really easy. And so that's why we spend as much time as we can to make sure that information is there. So what happens, Jeremy, if you have a couple, and every case is different, but you have a, a, a couple that breaks up and they have gone and their initial order is for joint legal custody, which means they are to consult and share in making decisions regarding the health, education, and welfare of their children. But then something happens like one parent decides to interfere really with a uh, medical process or um, any sort of needs that this child needs or, or children need? What do we do that? Well, very rarely is it an emergency for those type of things when you just don't agree on parenting. However, in special needs cases, it can be. If we're talking about something that can be so traumatic to a child that it can it can rock them to their core. I, I, I go back to autism and, and there are sensory issues, there are transitional issues, that these kids can actually revert behaviors backwards. And so if, if one parent is so disruptive to that, it can cause real problems. And so we can file ex partes to go into court to do that. Uh, it, the reality is if, if we have parents who disagree, we need to get into court sooner to make sure that the court knows that they're gonna have to assign the responsibility to one parent or the other. So if you think that this is going on, you definitely need to call an attorney and, and Jeremy makes a good point, but just to clarify when he's saying ex parte, what we mean is normally when you're filing a motion, a hearing, depending on the court's availability, may be a few months out or even further, but there are limited cases where you can file something basically immediately and attempt to get court orders right away, hence ex parte. So the standard um, for an ex parte is generally immediate or irreparable harm to your child that normally wouldn't be taking a child out of a routine, but in a special needs case, it's a completely different analysis. Yeah, and it also might be making sure that that child's routine is maintained. 
Um, it, it also works to the reverse. And it's, it's important that you hire an attorney like Jeremy or like Sam or myself that has the education and wants to help you as a parent work with the other parent. Co-parenting is, is one of the most important issues in family law cases, especially in uh, cases involving special needs children. Because if you don't, if you don't have the ability to co-parent, you're gonna be in court for 15, 16, 17 years. It, it, it's just not gonna fix itself on its own. Another consideration too, depending on how systematic or habitual it is, is requesting that the court make an order that one parent is designated as the final decision maker or as a sole legal custodial parent, meaning they get the ability to make decisions regarding the health, education, and welfare. That has its own challenges and it's not an easy thing to do with the court, but sometimes it's appropriate. So it's something to consider. Yeah, it generally happens when you have two parents that are at conflict on therapy or services or treatment or even medication that generally the court will at some point have to designate one parent as having the final decision. And Jeremy, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, I think the courts generally like to have both parents involved. I think it, you have two ideas, two thoughts. I think someone making a decision by themselves isn't always ideal. However, if you have parents who are diametrically opposed to the services, one parent who doesn't believe that those services are necessary. I think that's when legal custody is more often awarded to one parent. And unfortunately, a, a, none of us as special needs parents, I, I think, really wish our child had special needs. It's not something, you know, we, we check the box as we, 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 right. we want to create a child. Um, however, I think with that, you have a, a responsibility to the child. Right. And I think a parent may not want the diagnosis of any type, but if you fight the diagnosis too hard, you end up denying the child the ability to get the services that they need. And if that's the way that that one parent is going to take mom or dad, the court will step in and, said, and say basically, if you, don't, if you don't participate, if you don't buy in, then I can't trust you to be involved in the decision-making process. So Jeremy, uh, Sam and I have a lot of cases where a child or children have an IEP. Is that something that you see pretty prevalent in the cases that you're getting right now? Well, it, so an IEP is an individualized education plan. Um, and that essentially is a child has any special need or accommodation from the school that they qualify for that the school is bound to accommodate. So. Uh, it can be something like speech, it can be something real moderate, or it can be something where they have sensory issues they have to accommodate, test time uh, uh, accommodations, where they expand the amount of time to take tests. It's pretty broad. Um, and so IEPs are important because the schools are bound by it. They, they're, they, they're not, there's no flexibility once parents sign off on it. And so it's been really unique during COVID because a lot of these IEPs, these schools are federally bound, a lot of these kids, were, these are in-person services, and yet we're not allowed to be in person. Mm -hmm. And so one parent may be better capable at accommodating some of the services, and so then how does the court get involved? How much of this is temporary? How much, you know, this has been the longest two week, uh, <laughs> you know, quarantine that I can recall. Right, it's almost, yeah, it's, it's been, been a, over a year. Essentially, yeah. And so all these plans that were in place for when the school was in order haven't been accommodated. No, I, I think you it, it's dead on because a lot of our cases, and they're 
you are right about the uniqueness uh, and the specificity of the IEP plans, but I can tell you weekly there's been an issue that I have seen, whether it's just simple, like a speech class, how do you do it, where do you do it, is it effective over Zoom, is, it, is the child getting the services, I, I mean, and then a lot of the schools are understaffed. Um, which has then created another problem or parents or a lot of people are starting to move out of the state or move farther away because they have the ability to work remote. So there has been a lot of challenges that I have seen with the IEPs and I don't know how it's going to change in the, in the near future. I couldn't agree more. And I would really think that the, the parents fighting over the IEPs and fighting over the services is also it ties back into the legal custody issue. It ties back into co-parenting and so if these parents can't see eye to eye, the court's going to have to interject. Yeah, so everyone, if you're seeing a theme to a lot of the discussions that we have, co-parenting is the focal point for so much of what we do in family law. Whether your child has special needs or not, co-parenting is essential to the relationship, to the growth of the child, and really to the success of your family law case. So in summary, if you have any questions regarding a child that you have, whether it's special needs or not, you have three great attorneys right here speaking to you and also available on custodyqueens.com. Make sure you call us, have an individual consult with one of us to go through your specific case and your specific facts. So that way we can come up with a creative case strategy that fits you and your case. Uh, all these cases are different, everyone's case is unique, and I think Jeremy has such a unique and personal approach to cases that involve a special needs child. And thanks for, for joining us again, Jeremy. We're not going to let you get out of that hot seat yet, though, because we have our last segment, which is Notes to Our Younger Self. Um, it's where Kristen and I basically go through and we tell baby Sam and baby Kristen what we should have done or what we would have told each other um, as children. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Jeremy. Um, let us know. Well, I, I would tell baby Jeremy... Uh, Baby Frank. <laughs> invest in Amazon. <laughs> invest in Microsoft. Bitcoin. Probably not invest in Blockbuster Video. Uh, there still is a Blockbuster, no. right? There's one single one left. I don't know. But do you remember when there was late fees? Yeah. Yeah. Or don't you even did get rewind? Or you fees. did rewind the video? I remember debating which one was better, Hollywood or Blockbuster. I know I'm aging myself, but I remember having like a legit like divide amongst my friends about which one was well, better. Well, and Blockbuster, like, I was underage, and they let me have, like, my own card, like, my Blockbuster card, and that, I remember like, as an adult. two nights for, like, four ninety nine. Yeah, something. and I remember, like, as an adult, they're like, you know, ma'am, I'm, like, a kid, but, like, they're like, ma'am, you, you, uh, didn't return your you know, VHS oh, yeah. or You were also they six made... feet tall at that age still, <laughs> I was, correct? I was okay. full grown. Yeah. Okay. I was full grown. And those companies made 99% of their income and their profits off late fees. Did you know that? It's like a rental car company. They make 90% of their profits off selling you the insurances. So, because I, every single time I rented a movie, I was like four or five days late. And I was always, I could never rent another one but until see, I, I paid. I didn't like you because then I'd go to Blockbuster and the movie that I wanted to watch was always still not on the shelf. Oh yeah, I, I would go to get a new one. They're like, ma'am, you have a $36 late fee. And I was like. <laughs> you just kept the video, huh? You just kept the video? I bought three copies. So that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, all right, so unfortunately, I think that's all the time Chris and I and Jeremy have for you guys this morning we will be here next saturday at 8 30 and every saturday on go country 105. yeah and make sure you keep uh on the watch out for social media we will have jeremy rourke uh 
with us in the near future again. We are gonna tackle It Takes a Village 3 at some point where we will talk about special needs and children on the spectrum and how, um, how to get through a custody evaluation and tips uh, for that process. I know we touched a little bit on it today. But it's a lot of But it's a lot. And we want, to, we want to be able to give you guys a full segment and how to prepare for trial and everything that comes beyond the initial motion phase. So stay tuned for that episode coming soon. And Jeremy, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Sam and I get to see you every day, so it's always a pleasure and we love joking with you. But for everyone else out there, make sure you follow us, our social media. Join us next Saturday at 8.30 on Go country 105 and make sure you call us at 1-800-419-7772 that's 1-800-419-7772 please make sure you call us for all of your family law needs and remember let, let love rule thought it was love had kids in between you can count on us with the custody queens yeah you can count on us with the custody the opinions expressed on the Custody Queen Show are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for personal, professional, legal advice. The persons discussed are fictional and not based on actual clients.